This is the Imitate Ted Radio Hour. I'm your host, Julian Fade. And I'm also here. I'm Corey Mathewson. They say, to live a creative life, you must lose your fear of being wrong. We have lost that fear. We speak to world-renowned experts you've never heard of. Because, well, they're improvisers. They don't know what they're talking about, but that doesn't stop them from pretending they do. Each episode, we bring you made-up facts, unsighted research, completely improvised. Welcome to the Imitated Radio Hour. For some, food is seen as sustenance. For others, food is art. They see the plate as a stage waiting for the right choreography, the right director, and the right actors to turn a piece of meat, a simple noodle, or a young, fresh, supple gourd into a work of art, a pièce de résistance. Our guest this hour is the first chef to ever receive four Michelin stars for his work at the world-renowned restaurant Le Gros Cochon Blanc. Chris Borger is a virtuoso in the kitchen, and today he talks us through his journey about what makes food worthy of being called a masterpiece. Chris, thank you so much for being here today. We are so hungry for your delicious morsels of advice and wisdom. Bon appetit. I'm happy to be here, guys, and I, I hope you brought your appetites because we're going we're gonna to feel a little bit more full after this journey. I'll tell you that. Absolutely. I'm so excited. Uh, tell us, Chris, where are you now? Where are you coming to us from? Uh, where in the world are you? Uh, right now I'm retreating. So often a lot of the times people respect that artists, uh, writers, bands will go on retreats to a, a faraway place to reconnect with nature, reconnect with their roots. Uh, so currently I am in a I'm squatting in a cabin on the north shore of Pigeon Lake, uh, where I'm just reconnecting with the food. A lot of the times uh, in the more northern provinces, such as Alberta, uh, I guess it'd be a southern province if you were to compare it with the other ones. We're on the border of the United States. But uh, technically, there's no provinces north of Alberta. I guess, but also, are there any south? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Regardless, foraging is a big part of my day-to-day uh, lifestyle right now. So I've been going around the north shore of Pigeon Lake, uh, just kind of walking the banks, picking up garbage, picking up leaves, uh, some fauna, whatever I can find. And uh, I've been making a lot of dishes in the cabin with those. I want to start with your route into the culinary arts, because you didn't take a traditional route through culinary school. Instead, you learned how to make food through a process of what you call trial by liar. What does that yes. what does that mean exactly? Uh, if we can all go back to the masterpiece by Leonardo DiCaprio, Catch Me If You Can. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, one day I was in one of my favorite bistros, McDonald's, and I simply walked behind the counter and I started creating art. I started taking buns. I started taking patties. I started taking mayonnaise. I started taking lettuce. And I started taking myself seriously for once. Uh, if you just kind of assert yourself and pretend that you belong, no one's really going to question you. I was able to take this a little bit farther. You start off at McDonald's. The next thing you know, you walk into an Arby's. Uh, a lot of people are thinking Arby's. I was doing Arby's. Amazing. We might all think, but to do, it's a, it's a little bit more. 
now, my route that I took, I'm actually focusing on my roots with my roots and taking the route towards my roots by doing an entire month of all root-based vegetables. I'm talking beets, I'm talking carrots, I'm talking potato. Um, I'm even trying to take some plants that traditionally grow above the ground and I'm trying to put them below the ground to see how they can feel if they too are met at their roots. Mm-hmm, like a pumpkin. A pumpkin, yeah. If you take a pumpkin and you bury it and you wait, what will be there? Mm-hmm. It's not rhetorical. I want an answer. A, a, a smaller pumpkin, I imagine. A more rotten pumpkin. You're uh, correct. Fermented pumpkin, maybe? And if we're not fermenting everything that we have the chance to ferment, I mean, <laughs> what, what hope do we have? Truly, truly, what hope we have. You know, talking about hope, I think about learning and uh, striving to be better. Uh, One thing that you've done is spent a good amount of time learning about the history of cultural cuisine and how it informs the now. I mean, from poaching to grilling, from sous vide to the smoke machines you use, what are some of the global culinary trends that you see taking restaurants by storm? Absolutely. So we are all aware of the huge smoking craze, of course, that was off by Guy Fieri in uh, the early 2010s. Now, as all of society begins to smoke less and less and we're more transitioning into a more vape-based lifestyle, so I feel the kitchen should as well. So I've actually been using a jewel to smoke a series of meats, uh, which is a lot more carcinogenic-free. Uh, They taste a lot better. You don't just have the smoke flavor. You have flavors like bubblegum. You have flavors like Twinkie Breath. You have Mm -hmm. flavors like sweet, sweet squid. And so being able to mix this all into the meats, it's making a much more complex jerky and it's making a more complex society. Uh, It's absolutely fantastic. I mean, some of my favorite dishes of yours include secondhand smoked meat. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, for that one, the process is, of course, we have two sous chefs standing beside each other. Uh, One of them will take a drag off a cigarette or in the more progressive cities in our locations, a jewel. Uh, They then kiss their cooking partner who then breathes it onto the meat. Uh, And adding that extra person, it not only creates another job opportunity, but it creates an entire new depth of flavors. It's interesting, you're, and you're touching on this even in this last comment, but you have really taken to using unconventional ingredients in, in many of your dishes. Uh, most recently, uh, Bon Appetit magazine said that you've used ingredients that have never been used in food before. Can you tell us about a few more of your favorite ingredients that uh, you've now infused with the food that we're finding at your restaurant? Absolutely. So every day when I walk into the kitchen, I want to make sure that I'm never leaving the kitchen. I want to make sure that I I see the entire world as the kitchen. As Shakespeare once said, the world is a kitchen. We are simply vegetables. So as I walk through the world, I want to make sure that I'm not only looking at kitchen or at traditional edible foods, if you will, uh, to be eaten. So I've been doing a lot of work on glazes recently, which I completely make entirely out of saran wrap. Uh, It not only preserves the dish, but it also adds a nice sheen to it. And it adds zero calories, which I find is very attractive. Uh, some other things I've been doing lately is working on sourdoughs, you know, in isolation. Sourdoughs mm-hmm. crazy. And the rules regarding sourdoughs are entirely built by ourselves and our own blockages in our minds. 
I've been putting bits of gravel in my sourdoughs. I've been putting uh, small notes. I'll write a little poem to myself, crumple that up, put that in the sourdough. Uh, can you can you taste the paper? Can you taste the rock? Yes. Incredible. It's it's almost like a message in a bottle, but it's in an edible form. It's it's a a message you tell yourself with food. Well, I think that food is always spoken to us, and when it does it literally, it just makes it a little bit more comforting. It's absolutely incredible, and I, I mean, these kind of preparations are really innovative, and and I think what sets your restaurant apart, Le Gros Cochon Blanc, beyond the incredible food is is how the food is served. Uh, you know that it that it actually delivers a message, quite literally, sometimes. So, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the other modernizations that you've brought to the restaurant experience? Of course. Well, even if you look to the title of my acclaimed restaurant, uh, which, of course, translates to I once married a white pig. Mm. Um, and that influences a lot of what we do in the kitchen as well. So I want to make sure that if you walk into my restaurant, it's not an entirely uh, entirely an oral experience. Uh, there's a lot of different fun sites that challenge which you think, what could you possibly put in a restaurant? I want to challenge that notion. So often, uh, instead of walking into the restaurant, the restaurant will walk around the person and swallow them like an amoeba. And that has really helped out with the food truck industry. We've actually been able to move uh, the Blanc Cochon. And we go and we engulf people in the restaurant, which not only helps business, but I think it also helps innovation as well. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. So the people don't go in the restaurant. The restaurant goes in the people. In the people, yes. Inside of the person. Have you seen Osmosis Jones? Of course. We're looking at opening a new location and they're set. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, I, I, I mean, for the average person, this is probably pretty controversial. They're just looking to sit down, enjoy a double cheeseburger and fries. I mean, they're confronted with this wild experience. How do you normalize it or give it to people who aren't expecting it? It's a challenge. It's undoubtedly a challenge. I mean, often these people aren't looking for food even. Uh, sometimes they've literally just eaten a meal in their own house and they look to the right and boom, now they're in Le Blanc Cochon. And I think that's challenging. I think that's great. How many restaurants these days are coming to your house? I mean, we have Skip the Dishes. You have Uber Eats. That's not bringing atmosphere. That's bringing a dish and that is not complete. And I simply don't stand for it. Now, Often people will be concerned. They'll say, how the fuck did this happen? How am I inside of a restaurant? How did you get in my house? Why is there such aggressive decor? Uh, ah, once they start eating, the questions, they settle down a little bit. They put up their feet. They realize that they haven't been challenging their own notions of normal nutrition. So I think, that's, uh, I think once the experience seeps into the person, most of the time they calm down. That being said, I am involved in a number of lawsuits. You have been called the next Gordon Ramsay by Culinary Culture Quarterly. And yet we have a clip here we'd love for you to listen to of what Ramsay said when he first ate at your restaurant. Mm -hmm. From chicken that's already slimed, off, gone, to disgusting basil that was never fresh, to a tomato sauce that's actually caked in mold. I am not going to sit here and play party to that. Oh, God, and whilst I am totally appreciative 
for you leaving your homes to come here tonight for dinner. I've got too much respect for you and too much respect for the industry. He obviously stormed out shortly after. He is clearly being sarcastic in that clip. Oh, how so? How do you mean? Well, when he said it was caked in slime and caked in mold, I mean, you could hear the you could hear the inflection in his voice. He was like, it's caked in mold, you know? He truly couldn't believe how delicious it actually was. Yes, yes, this chicken is slimy. No, it's not. It's, you know, he was using irony. And if you think about it, Gordon Ramsay, if you break it down, he's just a guy named Gordon. Mm. When you add the Ramsay to the end of it and you think of him as a person, it's a lot more attractive. But when you think of it, at one point, he was just a guy named Gordon. So... It really does humanize him. Did, did he finish the dish? Yeah, well, he walked out of the restaurant. And he came in and said, ah, how about that, guys? Pretty funny, right? We all high-fived. We had a great time. And uh, he's actually uh, a silent investor now. Not so silent anymore, I guess. <laughs> well, fair enough. You, you know, it's interesting because uh, we have seen uh, from uh, some of the some of the news reports about your restaurant that, you know, you've 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 been cooking in the nude uh, you have not allowed your sous chefs to use their hands in the kitchen. These are all innovations that have become really your calling card. So where do you think food is going next? Uh, I, I think the hand restriction innovation was a really big deal to me and my staff. Uh, we so often think with food, we eat with our mouths, we speak with our mouths, we breathe with our mouths. Why are we not cooking with our mouths? Uh, a lot of our team had to be reassigned. Our line chefs, we had our chewers, so we had some people who were better with the front part of their sharper incisor beats. We had a couple molar base who were making some more vegan and vegetarian dishes, grinding it up. Uh, customers found that when the food came on their plate already pre-chewed, it saved a lot of the work, not only for them, but for their digestive system as well. They were able to absorb the nutrients from their food immediately. The second that food went in their mouth, uh, actually, their mouth started developing a lining that's not unsimilar to the small intestine. All those little, uh, what are those called? Those little uh, squid fingers. Those little squid fingers that suck all the good stuff out. Mm-hmm. They're growing in the mouths of some of our customers. And uh, passing uh, you know, health and safety um, tests can be difficult when everyone in your kitchen is literally chewing and spitting food onto plates that we then serve. But uh, to that, I would say... Sue me. Everyone else is. I'll take another one. You know, any publicity is good publicity. You're the bad boy of the culinary arts. That's for sure. Amen. Amen. You're giving customers cilia in their mouth, bringing the inside internal organs out in a way that uh, people going to restaurants never thought possible. Right. Life is so serious. Why, you know, why, if we're going to be so serious, why can't we act a little cilia? That's what we say. That's amazing. That's Thank amazing. You. Now, I, I, I want to close with maybe something a little more personal. Uh, you've reached some heights that other chefs, the food industry on the whole, never thought possible. So what advice do you have for aspiring chefs in kitchens or, you know, not in kitchens, as you say, around the world? If you look at people who stand on top of a mountain, if you look at gods, if you look at leaders of if you look at politicians, if you look at accountants, if you look at lawyers, they all have one thing in common. They went to culinary school. So I would say that culinary school is essential for everyone. If you can't cook, you can't eat. If you can't eat, simply can't live. So I think cooking should be a part of everyone's single life. Now, if you have decided to take this to the next level, if you've decided that, hey, I don't want to just cook for me, my family, my friends, but I want to cook to make money, 
you have to make some pretty big choices in your life. You have to cut out a lot of the fat. In cooking, we often trim fat around cuts. Now, you want to keep a little of that fat. You want to keep some marbling inside of you because that'll melt down. If you have no fat, then you're dry and you're boring. You're a white turkey bread. No one likes that. So it's important to cut out those in your life that aren't helping you meet your goal. A lot of people think friends in your life, that's fat, that adds flavor. But there's a lot of flavor inside all of us. There's a lot of fat inside of all of us. Oh, by cutting out people in your family that don't matter. I'm talking I'm talking moms, I'm talking dads. If you have any kids, you gotta say goodbye to that. Snip, snip, yes. You know, you cut the umbilical cord and you just, that should be the end of it. You shake hands and that kid will probably grow up to be really strong. That kid will probably be in the NFL one day. Hey, number one, go to culinary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second piece of advice I would say is to uh, end all relationships that you have. And I would say my third piece of advice is to, you know, finish off every night uh, by praying to, you know, our Lord and Savior and my personal best friend, Jesus Christ. I, I only have one more, uh, one more quick question to end it off. What's the secret ingredient? We're dying to know. You know, a lot of people say love. Uh, a lot of people say it's cinnamon or a little bit of honey. I'll be frank, it's MSG and everything. Huh. Yeah. You can buy it on Amazon for very cheap. Uh, it cuts down the salt intake you have to take, and uh, it's little fiberglass crystals that can just rip up your tongue. The first four-star Michelin chef from Le Gros Cochon Blanc, Chris Borger, thank you for being with us. We truly appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And remember, stay hungry. Imitated Radio Hour is produced by Rapid Fire Theater. It is not affiliated in any way with NPR or the official TED organization. So please, don't sue us. We're online at imitatedradiohour.com. For Corey Mathewson. For Julian Fade. This has been the Imitated Radio Hour.